The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, the show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back, everyone, to the 241st episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. The idea for this podcast came out of one of the discussions in my Moms Moving Forward group. We were talking about how being a mom forces us to grow and become more aware of our unconscious patterns. A couple of moms in the group who knew their Enneagram type shared how the Enneagram helped them see their blind spots, these negative patterns that impacted their mothering. Becoming aware of these blind spots or unconscious patterns allowed them to change the pattern and have a much more rewarding relationship with their kids. So I wanted to bring in a guest who is an expert on the Enneagram, someone who can tell you what it is and how it can be useful to you. And first of all, I want to tell you that the Enneagram is not a religion. It's a tool to help you understand your personality type. Elaine Bailey Anderson is a dear friend of mine and colleague, owner and founder of Coach Brilliant, a coaching academy that serves professional coaches, therapists, and service-based business owners offering training and certifications, as well as business and marketing strategy. Elaine is an accredited professional with the International Enneagram Association with over 30 years of professional expertise in human resource development. As a professional leadership development consultant, Elaine has created and designed programs in leadership, coaching, and behavioral skills, delivering training to Fortune 500 companies and small businesses around the world and walking with thousands of executives, managers, and leaders. Welcome, Elaine Bailey. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yes, yes. So can you tell me what got you interested in the Enneagram? It was many years ago. I went to a women's retreat in Nashville before I lived here, and I just found it fascinating to learn about all the different personality types and that we all have a different window on the world. And coming from the background that I did, I already had loads of personality tools because of my training, coaching, and consulting work. And I thought the last thing I need is another <laughs> personality tool. But what I didn't realize was the depth and breadth of the Enneagram and how wonderful it was and how 
accurate it is as well. And that's what blew me away. And that's why I use it in the background of all my coaching work. And I can't imagine coaching without it these days. It's such an accurate tool for helping people recognize what is it like being on the receiving end of them, but also understanding how they can move forward and make change in their life and how they understand other people. Mm-hmm. So that is so powerful as well. And it helps us to be a little more forgiving and a little more compassionate with each other when we get triggered and hooked as well. Yeah. I think I might have even been on one of those retreats with you. <laughs> I seem to remember that. So the reason why, I, moms, I want to do this episode today is in one of my groups, my mom's moving forward group, we were talking and this mom was saying, you know, I'm a one on an Enneagram and I just realized my daughter's a four and I realized how my actions kind of impacted her. So some of the other moms kind of knew about the Enneagram and they were talking about their numbers and how that kind of impacted their mothering. So I just thought it would really be good to have an introduction to the Enneagram because it's a wonderful way of understanding yourself. So I'm wondering, Elaine, if you could just give us a picture, just describe what is the Enneagram? Absolutely. And I mean, it is based on personality types. So how I would describe that is that we all have a different window on the world in which we learn to adapt in our environment and to our environment every day. And this starts in early life when we're born. I like to think that we are born free of any unconscious patterns and conditioning. If you like, we're pure love. And then, of course, life happens (laughs) and the influences around us start to shape us and start to create conditioning for us. So as we experience life, we become conditioned as our personality tries to defend us from emotional pain and fear. And we develop these unconscious habits and patterns. And these hold us back from our limiting beliefs and perceptions and ultimately impact our behavior. So it really is surprising how much we function mechanically according to our unconscious habits and patterns. It's it's surprising when you realize it. And we respond in predictable, repetitive ways according to our early programming. So what the Enneagram does is it gives us a map and an owner's manual, if you like. You end up with your owner's manual of how to operate yourself. Mm -hmm. It identifies your predictable patterns. It gives you, if you like, your own set of instructions, helping you to create unconscious choices and to do something different, to create a happier, more balanced life. It helps you improve relationships, you know, whether those are personal relationships, family, friends, whether that's in the workplace as well. And this one quote that I really, really love, and I studied his work many, many years ago now, it's Viktor Frankl and his book, Man's Search for Meaning. And let me hope I get this quote right. Okay. <laughs> but between stimulus and response, there's space. There is a space. Mm-hmm. And in that space, there is the power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. And that's really what this is about because we get so knotted up in the past or the future that we have to come in the present to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And if we can step back from our unconscious patterns, we step back into the space between something happening and, and us responding immediately. And that gap is where we grow and that's where it can make a huge difference. Yeah. So we can create mental and emotional space inside ourselves to observe and understand ourselves. 
then that's going to help us to step out of the moment, stop us being absorbed by our patterns, and actually be fully present in our lives and actually operate from that place of presence. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, so let me translate for you moms. So you know that I wrote a book called Dial Down the Drama. If we don't have a pause between stimulus and response, it often turns into drama. Like you react to what your teen said, the teen reacts to you, and it just kind of spins out of control. And often we're not really conscious about some of our patterns that we're kind of baffled about how do we get here? How do we get into all this drama? And it's easy for moms to think it's just all the teenager, but we have a part to play in that. And so that pause between stimulus and response, that space is super important to become aware of our own self. And I think that this Enneagram is a great tool to help us become more aware. So I'm wondering, Lane, if you could kind of give us a brief overview. There's nine types. So could you kind of give an overview for the moms listening? Yeah, and we do have a little bit of all types. So you might recognize a little bit of yourself in some of these, even though I'm just giving you a very, very basic description, if you like. But what we're looking for here is which of these resonates most with you, which is the most dominant type, because we all have a dominant type that we actually operate from when we're in, in our unconscious patterns. And that is your personality type. It's with you. I believe you're born with it and it doesn't change throughout your life. So if we start there, let's start the circle. And if we start beginning with uh, type one, the Enneagram type one is the perfectionist. So that even may, you may think, ah, that's me already. I don't know. <laughs> Just by that one word. But the focus tension for the perfectionist is being right and making things right. So they feel terrible if they're wrong or they make a mistake. So perfectionists are are very reasoned in those decisions, allowing no room for uncertainty or any questions. Right is right. Let me show you how. <laughs> Describing it. And they are dedicated and reliable. So that is type one. So that may resonate with you. And then if we move on to type two, type two, the focus of attention of type two is the helper and the giver. And that is their focus of attention is helping and giving to others. They want to know what do you need? How can I help you? And they put their attention on their relationships with other people. They actually need to be needed. You know, they lose contact with their own needs as they focus on the priorities and needs of others. They deny having any needs whatsoever. They may even not only deny them, but not even know what their own needs are. They are very warm, friendly, very outward energy. And, you know, they're always looking after other people. So that is our help and giver. That's type two on the Enneagram. And as we're moving around, moving around fast to type three, the focus of attention of type three is the achiever. It's very much focused on their accomplishments. They are searching the world to feel valued and appreciated. Now, just remember all these things that I'm sharing with you are at a mostly at an unconscious level or even subconscious level. So they may not realize it, but if you think about it, if you've spent all your life focusing your attention on your achievements, your accomplishments, in order to feel valued and to feel appreciated, then this comes from their perception that they've never felt loved for who they were. So they actually stop looking for love 
and they strive endlessly for external accomplishments and the best image that would help them to achieve that goal because that is the only time where they got what they perceive to be love or, or people seem to value them because they were successful at something. So they feel appreciated only briefly when they achieve a goal or they achieve status or they achieve recognition. And then it's as good as that goal. And then they move on to the next one, striving to be the next. So that's our achiever. Type four is the individualist. And the focus of attention of our individualists is on being unique. They are constantly searching for ways to be unique outside of themselves. So the reason they do this is because they have a mistaken belief that if they are unique and special enough, then they will be loved. They will attract love. And one of the things about a four, they dread being ordinary. That is dull and boring. <laughs> and, you know, it might be having an ordinary job or an ordinary life. It's terrible. Mm. Even if they have to suffer more than others, they have to be different. They have to be unique. And they do actually live in their own imagination and feelings. They're creative and sensitive, and they can be a little moody, actually. We could have little ups and downs, which... This a particular person, is Sally going to be happy today or is she going to be moody today? It's kind of an oscillation between that. Yes. Our four. Our five is the investigator. So the investigator lives up in their minds and in their head. Very big thinkers. They live in the minds and minimalize their connections to the world. They love investigating how things work. The most important thing for an investigator is safety by being invisible. These are probably the quietest type on the Enneagram. If you're looking at personality types, they're often analytical, detached, and very self-sufficient. And the world can feel overwhelming to them. It can feel demanding. It can feel intrusive and emotionally draining. <laughs> so they want to get away from that because it's overwhelming for them. So they want to disconnect to live quietly, untouched. And as I said, they're most withdrawn on the, of the personality types. And they use it as a way to find mental space to master their reality. So they go up into their heads. And some of these types can have this whole fantasy world inside their head. And they kind of live up there rather than actually being outward in the world, in the outside world. By the way, all of these have good points and bad points. Do you think yes. five suddenly that you're crazy? <laughs> yes. So it's important to say there's no bad number. No. Every number is fantastic and it's knowing the strength of your number. But I think why it's helpful is we all have blind spots because of the number. So we will dive into that in a little bit. Yeah. And those blind spots are our patterns. You know, it's how we get in our own way. So let's talk about type six and the type six is a loyal guardian and they focus on feeling safe and secure. So again, of all the nine personality types, these individuals are the most loyal to their friends and their beliefs. They are often very practical and committed. Their worldview is the world isn't safe. So I have to be very vigilant to anticipate and perceive dangers before they happen. So that's our type six, the loyal guardian. Type seven. Type sevens are our optimistic enthusiast. They feel excited about life. Now, I always think Tigger, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yes. they are always looking to the future for new possibilities. 
So an optimistic enthusiast will try to stay positive at all time. They don't like to feel trapped, bored, limited in their choices. The worst thing you can do is trap them in choices. And they might have a fear of missing out. So FOMO, fear of missing out. So they'll cram everything in and they'll overcommit. Their, their calendars are usually overstuffed <laughs> with things, mm-hmm. too many things. And at the same time, they like to keep their options open until the last possible minute. So they're fun, adventurous, spontaneous, always looking outside of themselves for stimulus and the next idea, the next adventure. So that's our sevens. <laughs> now, eights are the challenger. So the challenger is confident and intense. There's an intense energy to the eight. You know when an eight enters a room, they have a big, powerful energy. They focus on power and control. They avoid showing any vulnerability. It's, that's definitely hidden. They can be a little intimidating and aggressive because it's important to them to stand up for what they believe in. They will protect anyone who you know they perceive to be weak or the underdog. So if you're in the eights group or tribe and they love you, they will protect you absolutely. And then finally, our nine, last but not least, (laughs) the nine is the peacemaker known as the peacemaker. So the nine, they're also known as the mediator. And this core personality type really wants everybody to get along. So they're very laid back, accommodating and friendly. The peacemaker wants to keep the peace and keep harmony. So they'll play down their own presence. They can almost blend into the background. And as I say, they're easygoing and willing to go with the flow. And one thing about the mediator or peacemaker is that they actually dislike conflict and they'll avoid conflict at any possible time. (laughs) That's our quick whistle stop tour of the (laughs) type. So I don't know whether you can recognize yourself. (laughs) I know you can, Pauline. We've done yeah, this. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about like, I am a peacemaker. I'm the nine on the Enneagram. So, yeah. So, how I am wired. And so, I'm going to talk about it in terms of parenting, being a mom. You know, I want my daughter to be happy. I want everyone to get along well. And I want peace. And so, I think some of the challenges were for me is that I can kind of get drawn into her world and lose touch with my own world because I was focused so much on her. And also, like, I didn't want to say things because that might make her really mad. And I wanted to avoid conflict. And so I might shut down on some things that I would want to say to her. And what I realized for myself, and big reason I wrote the book, Dial Down the Drama, is that I had to grow as a person to be the mom my daughter needed me to be. My daughter was very strong and fiery in the adolescent years. So I just couldn't be a nine and just make it all peaceful. I had to be able to know what I think, know my values, and then articulate that clearly to her. So I had to become stronger So it was a shift a little bit from just trying to keep the peace. So that's what I mean, moms, is that that some of these numbers, we have a little blind spot that impacts how we parent. And so me just knowing that was super helpful because then I could work on it and realize that actually my daughter was helping me grow and expand 
as a person. And one thing I will mention, and you can riff off of this, Elaine, is that what I love about the Enneagram is it can show like a developmental, I don't know if it's developmental, but from how you're doing, if you're doing great in the number, and if you're not doing great in the number, like if some of the different levels, you can say it better than me. Yeah, there are, there are different levels. Um, there's a great book, if you're into reading the books, by Risso and Hudson, R-I-S-O and Hudson, and it's the wisdom of the Enneagram, and they have nine levels. So, And it's not that you get to one level and check it off and then move to the next. It's like a video game in any way like that. You'll oscillate between those levels because life happens, and we are in pattern quite often. You know, I said right at the beginning, we're more mechanical than we realize. But it's starting to recognize and notice these that make the difference. And it's okay. And that's the cool thing about being able to step back. Like we said about Victor Frankl quote is if you can step back and notice your patterns, you are not your patterns. You know, it's not the truth of who you are. It's just, oh, I'm in pattern. And we know how people trigger and, you know, trigger us. And our kids trigger us very easily. Or we trigger our kids very, very easily, I'm sure as well. It's a really good way of looking at those levels and starting to notice, oh, I'm just in pattern right now. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit more about what do you mean by pattern? Because I think some of the moms might not know exactly what you're saying. So it might be that you might get triggered by somebody. Or somebody might trigger you. Uh, like a teenager. Yeah, I'm sure that happens, doesn't it? <laughs> and suddenly what happens is you unconsciously defend yourself. Your ego defends yourself, protects yourself. It's a coping strategy. Depending on what type you are, it's slightly different. And we can talk about coping strategies and we can dive in on a few of these types. But suddenly what happens then is we have an automated pattern of how we react. So we react to a situation rather than respond to it. And it's an unconscious reaction. And often it's something that's happened to us in childhood when we were younger. And this is how we defended ourselves. This is how we protected ourselves. For example, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I'm the enthusiast. So if somebody suddenly maybe had a call at me or attacked me in some way or was aggressive with me, or I thought that, you know, there's something that I've done that was right and they're turning around and saying, no, you've done that, you know, that's wrong, you're wrong, you don't know what you're doing, then I will defend myself and, and react. And the way that I react often is that I actually don't want to have conflict, but I want to try and be as effective as I possibly can. But I react by putting the right or trying to put the right and telling them, well, no, this is the right way of doing it. This is how this should be done. And that's how I kind of react to it. And I can come up, and of course, like everybody, I'll come over as defensive. And that's what my intention. In life, we judge other people by their actions, what they say, what they do, how they act. But we judge ourselves by our intentions. But the only thing about our intentions is nobody knows what our intentions are <laughs> unless we communicate them. So if your intentions don't match your actions, then I am, to you, looking at me, I am my demonstrated behavior. Then other people get the wrong end of the stake because they think, well, you're just being defensive and this and that. And then that's the truth to them when it's not. I'm actually not communicating, mm -hmm. not actually letting people know what my intentions are. So it helps yeah, yeah. Matching our actions matching our intentions. Yeah, so how that works for a mom is, no mom has an intention to be a bad mother, a reactive mother, because everything we do, we're doing for their best. 
And, you know, we're trying to do our best as a mom and protect them and guide them. So that's how we see ourselves. We know those intentions. So we might say, no, you're not going to drive and go to the party tonight. And then a teenager might push on that and say, why do you hate my life? You know, why do you hate me? And we can go into a reaction, you know, based on that. Absolutely. And before we know it, we were like in this situation, we don't realize it because it's our coping strategies. We're just protecting ourselves. Behavior breeds behavior. So it, it becomes into more and more drama, doesn't it? The mm-hmm. time it can escalate in terms of that. And I think if you are a nine or the Enneagram, and just to summarize, I think to look out for a little bit is, and I'm not saying you should suddenly turn around and be the opposite of all of these because it's, <laughs> it's about learning and recognizing. Mm-hmm. But as a nine on the Enneagram, sometimes we can be a little too soft with everybody because we're not wanting to create conflict or challenge. So a nine mom might avoid some of the hard conversations. Might make them a little bit too easygoing, you know, not stretching them with their, you know, your kids' intentions and goals, keeping things easy and ozy and going with yeah. the flow. Yeah. And I think for a mom who's a nine, is you know that that's what your teen wants to do is not going to be good for them or they're not going to be safe, but they're pushing on you so hard that you might cave because of that. Absolutely. And I tell you what, one other thing to look out for if you are a nine mom is you'll often put yourself last. You'll forget what your own agenda is. You might not even have an agenda. You really not even know what you want or what your needs are. And you might feel that your opinion's not important. And that's just, again, conditioning over time is you feel that Oh, it doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what I need. So what about coping mechanisms for a one? Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about the one then, because the one is the perfectionist. So how ones get in their own way is that often they have very high standards. So you might set standards that are black and white, even with your children, and you know what's right and wrong for them. And in that little perfectionist side of things can come out, especially when you're getting challenged. And so you want to control things. Control is very important for one to be in control of everything and to know that every, you know, we're doing it the right way and because of these high standards you set for yourself. And the challenge of having those high standards is that you have a, an inner critic in your head. And I'm sure you've heard that voice in your head. <laughs> and critic for a one, a perfection is ruthless because they set standards really high. So for you as a mom, you're setting those standards so high for yourself that this is the level that I should be to be a great mom. And some of them aren't realistic. So you're judging yourself. So there's a lot of judgment inside for one about yourself primarily, but it can be about others too a little bit, but again, definitely about you. So that inner critic is tough. So look out for that voice inside your head, the inner critic. That's the coping strategies that you have. And you might find that you often disappoint yourself. So secretly inside yourself, you're feeling that you're disappointing mm-hmm. yourself. Or you feel like you're disappointing others as well. So they're the coping strategies when you're in pattern, as I say, in pattern, when you're unconsciously reacting to things, where you're feeling that things aren't going well and you're reacting. Those are the type of things that could happen. So there's also, I think, one moms, and this is what we talked about in our group. You have an external critic. I mean, you can criticize your team. And it's hard because... You want your kids to get everything right, but you have 
developmentally immature teen who's going to make mistakes so they're not going to get everything right. And, you know, what this mom said is that she became so focused on behavior and trying to get her teen to do all the right things. And it really took a toll on the relationship. And what I've heard often with kids, you know, is they say, oh my God, my mom just wants me to be perfect. Or they'll say, my mom doesn't care about me. She only cares about my grades or she only cares about my room being clean. So I think a place of growth for a one mom is being able to also focus on the actual relationship that you have with the teen. Absolutely. So how about coping mechanisms for a two? Yeah, two then, which you remember is the helper giver. They are the state. We said already they deny their own needs. They self-sacrifice their own needs for others. So they really do put themselves last, even more than the nine. Again, they will not be able to articulate what their own needs and wants are, definitely, because they have to take care of other people. And they don't care, you know, they don't have any needs at all. And they may use flattery as a way to be liked or loved by others. So they may, you know, suddenly turn around and say, oh, your hair looks beautiful. And, oh, I love that little jacket you're wearing and so on. And they may just be overdoing it because of that need. The basic fear is being unloved and not accepted. So this is in response to that in an unconscious way. And if I give to you, if I'm keep giving to you and keep helping you and keep putting things out for you and overhelping, then maybe I'll get something back from you in return. And that give get, the get is they the feel that they have to give and give and give in order to receive love back. And it's, that's not the truth. Mm-hmm. That's our two very much. So what I see with my moms that are twos is you get all mothered out. You just give and give and give until you're just completely exhausted. And I also hear a lot of moms say who are twos, like, I can't be happy unless my daughter's happy, or I can't be happy unless my kids are happy. And so your happiness is dependent on if your kids are happy. And so that's not real helpful because your teens are hardwired to be up and down and all over the place with their moods. Also, you do overgive to teens. And then you get so hurt because it's like, oh my gosh, I gave up all these things for myself. I did all these things for you and you don't even appreciate me. And resentment comes in. Yeah, resentment runs in. It runs in and then suddenly you might snap and Mm -hmm. say something that you don't mean to. And then guilt comes in after the resentment because you feel really bad about that. I have a really good friend who her daughter, her teenage daughter crashed her car. So actually stole a car and crashed it. And she went ballistic when her daughter came home. I think the police were involved. This was quite a few years ago. And she really laid into her daughter, shouting and so on. And then she felt so much, so much guilt for doing that, that the next day she then took, took her daughter shopping and bought her whatever she It was just like complete guilt, guilty feeling for what she'd done. And she was saying, that's not normally like me. I'm really sorry and all the rest of it. So I don't, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, I've heard that. My favorite story. And again, this isn't making fun of you, moms, because I, I mean, I could tell you a kajillion stories on myself, but it was a middle school girl that was having a fit about something. 
and the mom just wanted to be in bed and go to sleep. And the middle school girl was yelling and screaming and wanting her mom's attention. And then she took a vase in her mom's room and threw it on the floor and it shattered. And she would not leave the mom's room. Mom got really angry and she dragged her into her room. So when I heard that story, I said, oh my gosh, what was the consequence? And then she just kind of turned her head like, you know, our dogs do. And she said, I didn't give her a consequence. So what she did was the same sort of thing as the next day she took her shopping, let her have a sleepover. I mean, the kid would not at all get the message that what she did was wrong at all. So that's what we mean is if sometimes the coping mechanism of a number really gets in the way of our parenting. So let's do another one. What's the coping mechanism for a three? Three, yeah. Remember the three, the core belief of a three is their value and worth comes from being dependent upon their external achievements. So it's all about being the best. So they have to be the best in every aspect of life. So they have to be the best parent. They have to be the best work. They have to be the best whatever it is. They're striving to be the best. And achievement and successes are everything. So if I'm a three, I can adapt and reinvent myself for each situation. I'm working hard all the time. So if you're a three mom and you are working as well, you know, you have to work hard all the time. You might find that you're burning the midnight oil. You know, you may find that you struggle to have time to have that quality time with your kids even. It could even be to that. And the other thing about a three as well is that from a coping strategy, feelings are a waste of time. So if somebody, your own feelings, you'll push them down. You do, you know, but him got time for that. Let's get on to achieve whatever it is trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. You might find it hard if your teens is having a conversation about feelings. And if you're not careful poo-pooing that because it's like, you know, pull yourself together, let's get on kind of thing. That's very much the coping strategies of a three, of an achiever. Yeah. So I would agree with that. And I would also add is sometimes you know, a lot of moms that I know that are in my audience, you have given up on your career or you quit your career or put that aside for a while. So then it can be really easy to try to find that sense of value through your kids' performance. And you want your kids to be making straight A's. You want your kids to be really productive and be all they can be and go out there, really go after it. And I mean, these aren't terrible things, but the three can put a lot of pressure on their teens, a lot of pressure. And so you can see that a lot of teens will have a lot of anxiety. They're super hard on themselves because they feel this pressure. And again, I think the lesson for a mom of a three is don't miss the gift of relationship. It can drive you nuts if your teen is just laying on the sofa on their phone. And of course, there should be limits, but sometimes just hanging out is what we all need to do. There's so much stress in our culture. And so all these coping mechanisms, if you can see those as an invitation to kind of expand, and there's a gift in there for you. So it's not like slapping your hand, because a three might hear that as a slapping your hand, but it's an invitation to really have an amazing relationship with your kid that isn't dependent on, you know, their SAT scores. 
And you might have a teen that, you know, is really wired differently from you. Absolutely. And threats have, we know we haven't really gone into superpowers, but one of the, and to share that really briefly about the tree is that people around the tree can feel very inspired and uplifted by them when they're really, you know, being themselves and being authentic. And you can help others feel really important too. So your teens could feel really important through your energy, through how you are when you're actually not in pen. Yeah. So I want to just say again, so these numbers we just talked about, like the nine, one, two, and three, being a peacemaker is a nine. What an important trait that our world needs. Being a one, you know, who stands up for what is right is such an important trait. Being a giver is such an important trait. You know, being someone who produces and does great things in the world is an important trait. It's just that whatever our big strength and trait is, there is this little blind spot (laughs) and that can get in the way. And I know for me, when I learned about that, it was just super helpful, really, really helpful. So we have to kind of close this out. Elaine, you mentioned the book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Riso and Hudson, and that's a great resource. How can people contact you? You can reach out to me at info at coachbrilliant.com. So I-N-F-O at coachbrilliant.com, the word coach, brilliant. And if you're wanting to learn a little bit more about your own type and you'd like to explore a little more around the Enneagram and what's it like being on the receiving end of you, I wanted to give you a special opportunity, a special invitation to actually uncover your own Enneagram type me. So if you would like to do that, we will give Colleen the link and a special coupon code because normally I give you the Rizzo and Hudson assessment so you get a chance to, to do an assessment, sit and get a quiet moment and work through and identify your type or get a, start to get a feel for it. There's no rights or wrongs, just answer the questions. And then I will work with you one-on-one and we'll have an hour conversation, we'll record it. And I will take you through and talk you through and we'll identify your type and have a look at how you might get in your own way and what might be some of the strategies to actually help you and help you to tap into some of those strengths as well. So I am offering a special pricing of $100 off. And if you type in a coupon code, which we'll we'll include in the notes as well, we're talking about typing, you self-typing, a code is typing mom. So the word typing and then mom, if you type that in, you'll get $100 off the actual session. And I'd love to be able to help you to get a feel for the Enneagram and start your own Enneagram journey there, which could be really transformational. Well, thank you so much, Elaine. That's very, very generous. So I will have that in the show notes so you don't have to remember that, moms. I think this is so helpful. And Elaine, thank you for your time today. And I know that the moms loved it. Well, thanks for having me, Colleen. It's really great to play out with you. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning, best-selling books, Got Down the Drama, 
Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dollop the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.